All right, welcome back. I'm Larry Wilmore. This is Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. Um, very excited for today's episode. We have um, the very talented and um, just person who's just really lighting up the screen in almost every way. Tessa Thompson is going to be on the show today. We had a great conversation a few days ago. Man, she's doing everything in the business right now. And uh, and before we get to that, a friend of mine has dropped by uh, so we can chat a little bit. It is Trayvon Free. Hey, Trayvon. What's up, Larry? Man, it's good to be here. Yeah, so nice to have you here, Trayvon. Thanks so much for dropping by. Trayvon is a very talented writer and performer himself. I met Trayvon years ago at The Daily Show. where He's a multiple Emmy winner. He's also an Emmy-winning writer for Full Frontal with Samantha Bee. Yeah. Um, he does. He's one of those people that is going to be crushing it very shortly on, <laughs> on multiple platforms. And so, congratulations on everything. I know you're Thanks, developing man. a show right now at HBO with with our friend Issa Rae, I believe, right? Yeah, it's been so much fun. I'm I'm so so happy to be working with her, who like yeah. is killing it now, know, and started amazing. this thing with you. And I feel like just this whole web of interconnected, yeah. awesome blackness that's awesome, just happening. Isn't it? <laughs> it's it's just amazing. Like, like, it's this. It's this black web <laughs> right. that keeps getting more intricate. <laughs> it's just you know? spreading, and yeah, you can resist it as long as you want. But when Black Panther comes out on Friday, it's oh over. man, the six <laughs> degrees of blackness that is going to be <laughs> explode from Black Panther is going to be insane. You're, Trayvon, you, you are so excited about that movie. Correct? Oh, it was so good. Yeah, it was so like. It's when unbelievable. Did you see it? I saw it on Monday. Oh, okay, right. It's, I haven't seen it yet. You know? uh, it's unbelievable. I can't wait. Yeah. It, like what, the, what was it that made you the most excited? To see every scene, there's just all black people. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally, like, when Mar- like the few the few times that Martin Freeman right. and and Andy Serkis are on screen, it's hilarious. It's, it's just always black people, sure. and you just don't see that. Yeah. And especially unless in, you're in like in Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles <laughs> right, or something. Right. right. <laughs> or you're like watching a Tyler Perry movie. Yes. Like it, it exactly. was. But it was not only that, it was this how powerful they were. Like, yeah. They basically ran everything. Like yeah. it was their world. And then right. the world didn't even know. That it was their world. Like, no, spoilers down. Spoilers. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just Black Panther. Like, right. that's just you know, yes, like Wakanda's exactly. hidden exactly. underneath the like the foliage or whatever. I'm not spoiling anything. It's but. like the movie Rosewood. Did you ever see Rosewood yeah. when yeah. it came out? And I had read stories about that town, and there have been other towns like that where there was Black entrepreneurship and Black civic, you know, civicness. Let's right. say, and this thriving uh, community that were just vanished, you know, and right. they were disappeared. Let's say with quotes, you know, for, right. for various reasons. But that's cool, man. It's I can't wait to see it. It's so exciting. It's like yeah. this social phenomenon. Things, everything's kind of colliding right now. Yeah, in, I mean, in terms of the Black experience on, on screen with Lena Waithe, she's killing, killing it right it. now oh, with man. things that she's doing. Atlanta comes out on March first. Atlanta. Like. <laughs> Do you think it's opening the door for other groups? I, I I hope so because uh-huh. I hear from a lot of people in different groups, Asians, Hispanics, who like are looking for that level of representation in yeah. TV. Like, I mean, I feel like historically it's always been black people breaking through first kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then people coming in, like following that, behind. We're the ones that get arrested first right. for breaking and right. entering. <laughs> right. We break in, we deal with the fallout. Sorry, I'm working with the comedian right now, you guys. Excuse me. And then you get, and then everybody right. else gets to come in and take what they right. want. Right, that's hilarious. We start the looting, right? right. We start it. That's you get a hilarious, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I, I hope that that I hope that that happens. Yeah. There's so many other stories that need to be told. Like this is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the intersection, especially with Moonlight last year with the LGBTQ community, yeah. I know you're passionate about that as yeah. well. Yeah, right? I mean yeah. that was that was great. I mean even the way yeah. that played out, as weird as that. Yeah, was, I know that was bizarre. <laughs> it was just that like was bizarre. whatever happened. It was like, but it still ended up being Moonlight, which yeah. was great. I mean, but that. That's typical of the black experience, right? It was it was a living, breathing metaphor, <laughs> right? right in fr- played out in front of our eyes. Yeah. This thing belongs to the white man. Actually, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't. It belongs to us. If we had only run out of time before <laughs> right. the mistake would have been corrected. Could you imagine if it had been corrected off screen? Oh, God. Oh, no, my God. No one would have ever trusted the Oscars again. I know. No one would have yeah. ever believed a vote. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So, um... One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, I wanted to talk about, and whatever else you want to talk about, too, uh, before you go, but I wanted to talk about the, the portraits that were done for the Obamas that was yeah. unveiled a couple of days ago. And uh, I know we have different opinions. On it. I went on Twitter because I just, I had to go on Twitter because I like to keep it 100 with my audience. Keep it 100. <laughs> you know I'm like that. All right. And, and you know, I love my Obamas. You know, uh, <laughs> I've I've said this from the beginning. I was unapologetic about why I voted for them. I said, like Issa, voting for everybody black. I said, I'm voting for them because they are black. <laughs> I, I am not making excuses for that. Right. I am proudly doing <laughs> right. it. Yes, I'm a Democrat, and I don't, but I still don't agree with all of his policies. Not about policies. My, right. The only policy is, a, is of him being black. Right. That's the one I agree with the most. As long as he keeps doing that, he's doing a his great job. policy is what yes, I'm here for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan, you know. And they couldn't have been nicer to me when I spent some time with them, the right. correspondence dinner, you know. But I wasn't feeling that. When I saw the, the one with Obama, I think I had the most problem with, although I think a lot of people had problems with uh, the one for Michelle because they felt it didn't quite look like her. And I think that was the major issue more than the artistic right. point of view in it, which some people had problems with that as well. Um, and that was kind of my problem with that. But I had a bigger problem with the Obama one. And it wasn't it wasn't so much, look, I know who the artist is and I know that's his jam. You right. Know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But it just didn't feel presidential to me in the way that I wanted it to be. And I could be imposing that on it. And I'll let you go in a second. I, I was going to ask, how did you want it to? How, what well, was it's your not ver- so much that I wanted it to look a certain way. I accept this is an artist's representation of something. I'm saying the way that it hit my eye, I was like, hmm. I was just, hmm. I don't know about that. I don't I don't see that man as president when I see that picture. I know he's president because I know who Obama is. But if but if I come down and I look at that, there's nothing about that that relates the stature of both the office and the importance of his journey to that office and what it means, especially to me on the same age as Obama. I went a slightly different road <laughs> in my life. You know, and it doesn't do that for me. And now I heard him talk about it, and I understand his intention as an artist. And I have no problem with it, by the way. I think he does beautiful work. Right. You know? But... <clears throat> I mean, see, I feel like it's the president part. I feel that like gets the me. part. Okay, you I feel like the part that bothers you. Did you like? Wait, before you get to me, yeah, yeah. I want to hear from you. What was your opinion I, of it? When I saw it, I, I loved it. Okay, I. But it was for the reason that I think you probably didn't like it, which mm-hmm. is it subverted all that stuff. Right. So it like, definitely did that. You, so like for me, when I saw it, I was like. I know just because we work in politics and stuff, like we know mm-hmm. we have a, a a vision of what some presidential portraits look like in our mind. Yes. We've seen them, we pay more attention to stuff like that. Correct. It immediately threw all of them to the wind. It did. Immediately. It was like you look at I don't think there's been an, an interesting uh a more interesting portrait of a president than this one since Kennedy. 
Right. I, I feel like that. You go Kennedy, Obama, like everyone in between. Mm-hmm. Now you look at them; they're just bland portraits of a president standing at a desk yeah. or sitting on a couch. Are you talking about the Kennedy portrait where he's looking down? Yeah. Yeah, and that was taken from a famous photograph. Yeah. Also. Right. Right. So, like, I feel like that evokes an emotion in the same way. Yes. When you look at, you consider the fact that. Everything that goes into Obama, first black president, sure. and then you look at the type of uh, painter that Kende is, mm-hmm. and then you look at like his what his other paintings look like. I was telling Roy Wood Jr. I was like, yeah. it's <laughs> it's amazing he didn't put Obama on a horse with a do rag. Yeah, like, <laughs> like he, it would have been too Putin. It would have been like if, <laughs> with a do rag. Unveiled that painting, <laughs> like one hilarious. of his other favorite. Like that's what he does. He put like he paints these beautiful portraits of sure. black guys, like being black. He's and, unapologetically black. Yeah, right. and so for me it was like unapologetically getting, artistically black. Yes. I should say. And right. and the symbolism, like the, all the flowers have a particular meaning, one from Kenya, yeah. one from Chicago, one yeah. from Hawaii, like and like all that kind of stuff. But I saw it as— like with, Okay, go ahead, because I, I have an opinion okay. on that. Okay, so I, like, considering the fact, too, that he has Obama with no tie, mm-hmm. which— I'm not mad way, at that. Is, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just speaking about like just right. what I saw. He's actually wearing the same outfit he wore the day he gave the Ferguson speech. Mm. Uh, no tie, same thing. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that was on purpose mm-hmm. or if that just like happened that way. But right. untied Obama is a very different Obama. I like that part. And yeah. I felt like, to me, it looks like when I think of being in foliage and being in a garden and being, it's like, yeah. it was like this dude went through so much for eight years. Right. And now he gets to just chill. Right. <laughs> Like this, See, is, I, like, like this I have is, a contrary view. That I'm like, why they got to put the nigga in, in the field? Why they got to do that? How, how come everybody else is in the White House and the niggas got to be out in the field? What's up with that? You know? I didn't even get there. <laughs> See, that, that's I was, what I said. I'm a little older than you, Trevor. Yeah, I got see, a little I more history. Garden. I saw you garden, saw garden. You saw I thought that nigga sitting in the field, man. I don't, I don't cotton to that. You know the way other people are so happy about him sitting. Out there, you know. I mean, to me, yeah, I mean, to me, uh, I saw a man at rest who sure. deserved to take the tie off mm-hmm. after everything he had done for us, yes, and everything he tried to do, and everything he <laughs> yes. meant to people, and just being like, yes, I'm not that. I'm not. Like, to me, it was like I'm not yours. Like uh-huh. I feel like if you saw him with a tie, looking presidential, you'd feel like mm-hmm. it, like. I feel like in any other case, it might make sense. Mm. But I felt like, for me, it worked symbolically. So do you think people will look at that and think that what you're saying? I think I, what, I, what I love about art they is think, this. Or they'll look at it and go, mm. But, I mean, this is what I love about it. Like, yes. the fact that, like, we can approach it through all of our different lenses. That's why I love going to museums. Sure. Like, but I think more objectively, if you lined up every presidential portrait— I think more people would stand in front of that one much longer than the rest of them. And I, I don't think disagree that's kind with that. of what— Now, here's here's what I think. I think the Obamas aren't cited enough for their generosity towards people who might not be seen all the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel that these portraits are more about the artists than the subjects. That's, I can agree with that. That's kind of my opinion. I can agree with it, that. You know? but they did, they, like, they I sh- think my conversation is—we're uh, we, talking more about the artists than the subjects, you know, with the any other portrait— it's about the subject, really, and how the subject comes across and that sort of thing. Or I mean, they did right. handpick these artists. I wonder—they chose very bold artists. Absolutely. Like, you look at—I think uh, 
a black woman painted Clinton's, uh, mm-hmm. the Clinton's pa- uh, portrait. The one with the shadow of Monica Lewinsky? Uh, no, is, was that his official portrait? Or well, was no, no, no. The, the one oh. in the portrait gallery was uh, the one where it had the shadow like oh, of, right, the, of the right. Monica dress. That was, a, I think a black woman did that. It may have been, but it's, I, it's I, like I, in the I, basement. Correct me if I'm wrong, someone on Twitter, but I think, yes. uh, I think a black woman did their portraits. But mm-hmm. they, uh, they looked... Uh, like the reg- like the rest of the sure. portraits, sure. and they, you, there's no way Obama chooses Kahende and thinks he's going to get that. And look, he, I and he I agree. So, so I feel like he was like him and Michelle both are like. Let's, I, I think I, in the Wapo or, or Washington Post article, it said they were kind of like, yeah, we're going to take a <laughs> take a risk, take a chance on yeah, like they, what because. It's Kahende bringing Jay Z to the White be, House. Yeah, yeah, he was going to be Kahende, and she was going to, and Sher- Amy Sherrill was going to paint. Yes, the way she paints, and I think this is what they wanted. But you're right; it is become about the artist because their work is so bold. But I think that may have been part of their thing too. Is present? I mean, they let the artist speak, which a lot of people yeah, don't do. Which right, is like you were very saying, generous. They, they are know? very like Michelle with the designer she would choose yes, to like bring exactly. to it, to bring them into the fold. And she did like, that consciously, yeah, you know, so with, it, with it, intent. It, it could right. be them going, I'm going to elevate Kehinde Wiley's work and Amy Sherrill's work to the status they, do, of— Do you think Michelle liked hers? Uh, Keep it real? If Keep it 100? She, not taking into account what she actually said. <laughs> right. I think— I think. Well, she said I, it would be an inspiration I, for young girls, right? I think when Obama—I think when they got in the car, she might have had some words. Yeah. <laughs> she might. I don't—see, I see, here's the other thing. Like, I sat—I was very fortunate to sit next to her— and have dinner with her. And let me tell you something. You don't even have to look at her to experience her charm, you know, right. and her naturalness. She's so authentic, too, as a person. And that was the part that I was like, <clears throat> for people that are going to experience this years from now, I wish it had more of that charm that she has whenever she speaks. Yeah. And um, it, it does, It to me, it, it pulled out what the, I think what the artist felt was her strength, you know. A kind of steely resolve, almost, you know, and the dress, yeah, and the the fact that it's like a, a pyramid leading up to her, yeah, like, and all, all that, that kind of stuff. I don't care yeah. about all that stuff. Right. That's fine, but um, like all you know, but I'm like, okay, whatever, <laughs> right. you know. But the face, I'm like, the there was some charm that I wish had been there, and and I've seen the artist's other work, and it's very, it's very, uh, what's the right word? It's very colorful, I think, in a very stark way where you look at yeah, it and go, like oh, the, wow. The charcoals and like yeah. this, the contrast with the colored balloons and all that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. but they're very sharp. Yeah. And there's something that's, see, dull is not a very good word. <laughs> right. But there's something more dull about this work compared to her other work, it seems like right. to me. You know, and I don't, I'm not using dull as in boring. Right. But, but I think it's dull, dull on tone, purpose with like, the gray tone and the light right. do background. You, did they you know? sit for these? Do you know if they sat for so, these? I think so, yeah. Oh, but okay. to me, I'm like, did a... Did, like, a lookalike for Michelle sit there for a while? Like, was she busy? Like, yeah, did she have a stand-in, like, in showbiz? While she you was know, on Michelle vacation. can't come today. Right. The stand-in's going to sit right. here for a while. Okay, I'll, no, 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 I'll just paint her. I'll just right. paint her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll spend yeah. most of the time yeah. on the dress until, like, I can Yeah, get... don't smile. That's going to ruin everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun. It is what it is, yeah. I guess. I mean, at the end of the day, it's— it, I feel like it embodies the the Obamas. They, sure. you, you you want to talk about them? Yes. They stand out from the pack. Yes. And I think they 
what's what's right. unfortunately what's Trump's portrait going to look like? Yes. <laughs> like the, the, <laughs> one of the more interesting comments on Twitter. I can't remember who said it. I like to give people credit, but he he was saying to me because people were trying to convince me of it. But I thought he had an interesting argument where he mentioned uh, Obama was always you know, treated a certain way because of his background. And now here we have him competing with his background. Again, oh, that's you know? brilliant. Yeah. You know, and I thought that is an interesting observation. That is really I said of all the observations, that one I like the best because yeah. I'm forced to consider his background as I'm looking at him. I wonder if Kenende you know? had that in mind. I don't think painted. he mentioned I that. I don't but I think somebody could give that to him. Yeah, he might you. take credit for it now that it's out there. Because, <laughs> exactly. like, you can't say that he didn't. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I now was... somebody on Twitter says it. Now you're going to believe that. I know? mean, there is also something to the, the to be said about the fact that if you look at the his left foot, he's about to stomp on the Kenyan flower. Oh, that's hilarious. And really? It, like, it really looks like his foot's turned over like it's about yeah. to smash it. And I didn't notice it at first. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because it's the, 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 the flower that's supposed to represent his father. Right. And uh, he's painted as if he's about to smash like step on it. I guess those dreams for, him, for his father were a little intense, I guess. Um, what Did you hear about the Hannity stuff, about seeing the— the sperm in it or something like that? I, see, I saw an illusion. I don't know. What I'm was not that? sure what that was. Like a sperm? There was some the, crazy talk. God, like what is it with? Niggas like, can't have nothing. Nothing. Man. Like <laughs> it always goes back to something like gross or sexual or like. Very bizarre. Like especially with Hannity, man. Like, Somebody who can't even admit that the president, you know, has had these uh, accusations. You yeah. Know. Sleeping with porn it's, stars. But it's crazy. Um Anything else you want to talk about, Trayvon? Thanks so much for, for stopping by. Well, um, you liking the Olympics so far? Are you a Winter uh, Olympics fan? Love, I'm a huge I curling love, fan. Oh, by curling! Way. I was just going to say curling is my curling yeah. is. Can I say shit? Curling is my shit. It's, it, hey, man, and brothers, <laughs> you think would like curling because we've had a. a a relationship to curls for a long time. Right? <laughs> right? We know curlers. We know exactly. curling. <laughs> if anybody knows curling. <laughs> I, why, why do you like it so much? Because I can't get enough of it. I I love it has like a beauty to it. Uh-huh. And like a uh, yeah. uh uh what's the what's the word? Like a yeah. like the technique involved in playing it. Have you ever played that tabletop sure. shuffleboard? Absolutely. I love that. Like it's so much fun, right? Yeah. And then when you see, like, I just love seeing them in that crouched position. Yeah, yeah, And, like, yeah. just gently letting the, uh, yes. the curling uh, stone I, I, go. And I love the mixed doubles when there's a man and a woman. Yeah. Especially in a different language. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, what, are they, what are they saying? What is she saying? I think just, he's fucking up right now. Right? She's probably just saying sweep, yes, <laughs> sweep. Exactly. It's, I mean, I want to. I would. I want to play. I don't. Where can I go? Too. Curl, man. I want to do this. I think it could take over from bowling. You know, yeah, like have seriously. curling leagues and that kind of stuff. Like. uh do like a cool runnings vert movie, yeah. but about black curlers. Or hoop dreams. <laughs> right. Curl dreams. Curling, yeah. Yeah. I would, that man, would be I love hilarious. It. The uh but did you did you see the the Sean White story this morning? I that did. Yeah. is that's crazy. That's unbelievable. You're talking Those about the messages. sexual harassment. Yeah, the sexual thing? harassment yeah. thing. Like I didn't even know about that. And he yeah, settled out of court last year. And actually, like, admitted to sending those text messages. But the part that jumped out to me was, like, he also had, like, some racist text messages Oh, no, in there. I didn't see that. Yeah. And it, I was like, God, you can't even—white people can't even sexually harass <laughs> without being racist. <laughs> like, you're already doing one terrible thing. Right. <laughs> it's like— <laughs> Oh, and by the way— right. It's like they went, you know what? This sexual harassment is boring. I had to sprinkle in some racism oh, in no. here. What was the racism like, thing? I had something to do with, like, uh, I think it was, like, sex or 
dicks or like some kind oh, of black. Like, I don't know. It was just like, why? You're already being terrible. I know. You're already being terrible. It's amazing how you can't get away. And I think this happened like in 2014. Twitter, man, has been the equalizer in terms of just your shit is going to get out there. <laughs> you know, if, right. you, if you because the thing that he's he was accused of, I think there was a settlement for you. There were years you could have gotten away with that. In fact, he did get away with yeah, that. that for a long and time. what I'm talking about getting away with is treating people horribly like on a job, you know, and especially men being abusive to women and the way that they treat them. You know, and lording over them in a certain way. You can't get away with that shit anymore, no, especially the, if there's a record like a yeah, text you got, record. You got screenshots. You got text exactly. <laughs> it's over. But I mean, I guess I feel like that's probably why Sean White is so good because he always pushes the limits. He's yeah. like, I'm not just going to sexy harass. I'm going to throw some racism in here. I'm going to tell you how to cut your hair. No <laughs> I'm going to do this <sighs> to the extreme. Do you think he's he'll I mean, NBC kind of treated him as like this yeah, hero they, returned and everything. Yeah, they completely ignored it because yeah. they didn't think people were paying attention. And they weren't until right. now, like till he won that medal. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, by the way, your hero said right. these really awful things to a woman. They're like, we already got rid of Matt Lauer. What more do you guys want from us? <laughs> right. Jesus, leave us alone. It is such a weird thing to like those to have that kind of power yeah. and use it that way. I feel like it's it really is a thing that. When white people have that level of, of, of power and acclaim that allows them to just kind of skirt over certain things. That, <laughs> I love that, that it's a mo- white thing, like, right? it, it, like, I mean, look at, look at the, since Weinstein on, like, what has it been? The, yeah. the, most of these guys are just super powerful white dudes. Yeah. And I, and I like to, to say, like, if you gave us more opportunities <laughs> to be to have positions of power, this might be a level playing field. I think you, you know I, I think it's a man woman thing, but but I appreciate <laughs> no. your racial take on it as always. Uh, well, Trayvon, thanks for stopping by. Please, we, will you uh, sit in with me uh, some more? As, yeah, some I'm, other times. I'm here. Just, for just a drop while. by yeah. when you're around. I'm here for five five months. So. Any anything you want to let us be aware of, or anything coming up, or. Anything uh, you want to say before you go? Uh, I, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. That's right. And it's at Trayvon, at Trayvon right? yeah. I, Please uh, follow Trayvon if you're not. I don't Trayvon. have any—I'm working on—I'm writing so much I don't have any, like, stand-up gigs coming up. But I am giving okay. a keynote at Harvard in March. Oh, great. Um, Congratulations. On the 3rd. Thank you. So, And I haven't written a thing yet, so I probably need to do no, that. No, you'll be fine. <laughs> One last question. Um, who, um, Who's your team? Basketball? Lakers. Oh, so you are like a Lakers yeah. Because I thought you were one of those, like, L.A. boys who, like, you like the Yankees. No, no, just like... the, Yan- the, the Yankees and the Lakers are my teams. Oh, okay, all right. I yeah. didn't know if you're... Do you want LeBron to come? Yes. Okay. I, right. I definitely okay. would love to get—I feel like it's happening. All right. I we'll feel see. like it's happening. What do you—do you, do you I'm want to I'm not sure. Team? I'm you not know, sure. You... We'll talk about it the next yeah. time. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure how okay. I feel about it. Cool. All right, man. Trayvon Free, everybody. Follow him at Trayvon. Thanks, Trayvon. Thanks, Larry. And um, we'll be back with my conversation with Tessa Thompson right after these words. All right. Welcome back. Um, I'm here with somebody, as I said, is crushing it in Hollywood right now. <laughs> she is lighting up the sky, lighting up the screens. It's so, it's so exciting to have her here. Ms. Tessa Thompson, how you doing, Tessa? Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, I want to get to something in a second, but she, well, I want to mention that she's in the new movie, Annihilation. Come, when, when does it come out? Uh, it comes out the 23rd. You have no idea, right? I, no. She has no idea. I it's coming like, out soon, you guys. It's coming out soon. It's coming out yes. the 23rd of February. Yes. Um, but we're having a conversation because I love talking to people who are just, like, their careers are just 
just doing it, you know, and what that is. And we talked about that turnip truck, falling off the turnip truck. So do you have a theory <laughs> about falling off the turnip truck? Because people, here, here's what we were talking about. On the outside, it looks like people just, <laughs> I'm just making this up right now. <laughs> no, you're not. But it seems like people just fell off the turnip truck. But the truth is, like for you, you've been working for a while in this whole thing before we yeah. saw you come off that truck. I, I guess that's true. So yes. the idea, yeah, when you fall off the turnip truck, there's no, there's no, certainty about how long you've been on the turnip truck. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I sort of uh, resent that idea that anyone comes mm-hmm. out of the sky. Yeah. Um, or that anyone's ascension is is lightning speed. I yeah. feel like whenever you lean in, you realize that folks have been around for, for a while doing what they do in different mm-hmm. iterations maybe, but yeah. but they've been like scratching at the same surface. Yeah, I'm always amazed too with how – the age at which people know precisely what they want to do. How old were you when you saw yourself here, when you said, that's where I want to be? Do you remember that? Do you remember that moment or did it evolve for you? I think it evolved because Mm -hmm. if I look back, I was always acting. I I was always trying to storytell in one Mm -hmm. way or another. From when I was a tiny girl, I would make films with my father Uh and he'd edit them. And they were things that I wrote and and produced and costumed and they were very elaborate. Mm -hmm. And then all through school, I was always doing plays. But I think the moment at which I said that's something that I want to do and is sustainable, I can't. I don't, it it all it felt like that wasn't something that people did for a living. Even yeah. though I grew up with such proximity to it, not because anyone in the business, um, anyone in my family is in the business, but because mm-hmm. I grew up in Los Angeles and I grew up in Hollywood. So right, so so it was all around you, but it seemed elusive at the same time. Incredibly right? elusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just didn't seem like a thing you spent your life doing. Or if it if it was, it wasn't something I was going to spend my life doing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny because I always said um, one thing that I. I kind of used to guide me early on. I called indicators. Mm-hmm. And uh, and indicators to me are objective things in the universe that tell you you should be doing what you're doing. Sure. You know, so like if you get cast in the lead in something, right. you know, that's professional. It's not friends. It's not like school, you know, or you win something or those type of things. They're indicators that tell you, okay, keep going. And there's also indicators to tell you, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you better stay on that track. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Do you remember what one of your first indicators were where you said, damn, Tessa, okay, maybe this is this is what I should be doing? Sure. I mean, there were early ones that now seem silly, but I, I was— in school, I was mm-hmm. studying cultural anthropology. I was I, you were studying cultural anthropology. Cultural anthropology. Yes. Well, you should know about the turnip truck. <laughs> yeah. Anybody knows about the etymology <laughs> of the turnip right. truck. It should be me. Yes. And actually, I was really interested in linguistics. Um, but mm-hmm. I think I think even uh, thinking about academia was still performative for me. It, mm-hmm. it, it was some. I liked the idea of were it. Were you a good student? I was an okay student. Mm-hmm. I was really, I really excelled fantastically at the things that I was very interested in, okay. and the other things I just didn't bother with sometimes. So right. that compartmentalization, yeah, totally. So mm-hmm. that was true of my high school, you know, career, as it were. I was doing all the plays, but I wasn't always showing up to other classes. Yeah. But I kind of skated by because. Um, I was really politically involved in school, and I was active, and so people mm-hmm. knew who I was. And I think I got by in the good graces of my teachers in some cases. What and kind of political involvement were you in? in I school? was I was like the the vice president of the Gay Straight Alliance, and uh-huh. I was in every I was in the Peace Club, and right. I, sophomore year I was president vice president of the class. Uh-huh. I ran for vice president senior wow. year. I did not get elected. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was still a sore spot, yeah. um, but I was really active on. 
was like campus. And so I uh-huh. think teachers could see that I wanted to contribute, that I was, that I was there and I was engaged. Right. Um, but I wasn't particularly engaged in things that didn't, that didn't interest me. And, and from a young age, um, performing interests me. It uh-huh. interests me because there were things about it that I felt like I had a natural aptitude and there were other things that were frightening frankly, and that felt exciting. You know? What was it that frightened you the most? Well, I remember doing a play early on and, and being so, having such stage fright that my legs were shaking. <laughs> and and then I was so interested in figuring out oh, wait, if the it was, audience It was shaking it on stage? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Wildly. Yeah. Um, and that uh-huh. was just really early on when I started to perform. And I yeah. realized that a part of it was my body was having such a physiological reaction because I cared so much. Right. You're I had so such excited. intensity around doing yeah. it. I felt so excited to be on stage. And I also felt such responsibility to do a good job. Yeah. Um, and so continually it just presented itself to me as not just a thorn in my side or a mm-hmm. preoccupation I couldn't let go of, but that it was something that I cared about enough to have the fortitude to to weather the ups and downs, to be on the turnip truck waiting yeah. to fall off um, for long enough to for that to actually happen. Yeah, that's great. You know, what I love uh, your work is you, you always seem to do roles that kind of defy pigeonholing, you know, mm. or, or just putting you in a certain box. But yet, at the same time, I feel like you're creating a space that is really becoming your own space where it's like, oh, okay, she could just come in a room and do whatever she wants. Like there's, <laughs> your characters are like, like, especially the last one in Thor. I'm like, okay, she just does anything that she wants on screen. But, but you had roles. It seems like I was reading uh, some interviews you did earlier where even as a young actor, it seems like you reached out to producers and had conversations about the roles you were playing. Like, mm. even as far back as Veronica, I think you were talking about just uh, some of the conversations you would have about the part and stuff. Did, was Were you courageous about that, or did it just come easy? Is it just something you just did? and Because um, some of these things are unconscious, I know. They just kind of happen. Yeah, I think they just kind of happen. For mm-hmm. me, maybe it's coming from working in theater. I just always assume that that's the way that you make things. Right. So you make them through collaboration. It was really a wake-up call when I started to work in the industry and realized yeah. just the hierarchy, you know? Yeah. And particularly as an actor, sometimes you're you're meant to just be a cog in something moving. It's funny. Hollywood isn't necessarily an actor's medium. <laughs> no, not really. It's <laughs> or really, film or TV, I yeah, should say. Yeah, it's really yeah. a director's medium. But mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, my dad was a, a huge cinephile, still is. Mm-hmm. So he showed me all these movies growing up. and That's great. They, I love that. Yeah, yeah, they really shaped me. Some of them, frankly, were I was too young to have seen them. Like, I remember him showing me The Crying Game. Oh, and that's then he would fantastic. like show me like a dark movie and like I'd then fall asleep. So I, I was like, what just happened to me? That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but he kind of he didn't think that I mean he still did this with my little brother and my little sister. Uh-huh. He just wanted us to be watching good films, or he wanted to watch good films, and if we were in his company, we'd watch them with him. Right. Um, but because of that, I was just I've always been interested in in filmmaking. Yeah. Um and and so when I'm working with a filmmaker, I wanna be a part of their process just because I'm so curious about what they're doing. Right. And I've been really lucky to work with folks that are pretty collaborative that like to work that way. Yeah. Like Ryan Coogler and sure. and Alex Garland and Justin Simeon and, and yeah. you know, Ava DuVernay and all those folks. No, you have a murderer's row of, uh, yeah, right? of directors already, which, know, is, like the, which is fantastic. They're like the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is, which uh, irony intended, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Ava, um, Selma was interesting to me. You talk about a murderer's row of actors in that, too, and, well, and yeah, the parts. And right? was that your first time playing a real person? Yeah, you, you played Diane Nash in the it movie. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was the first time. 
Yeah. Does that, uh, is that a more of a challenge for an actor when you're playing somebody who you know actually? And Diana, she's still alive. I mean, yeah, she's yeah. still alive. She's still alive. She still has some opinions. She about, has a lot of yes. opinions. She, yeah. yeah, she has a lot of opinions. She's really— Did you have a chance to meet her? I had a chance to meet her after I made the film. Oh, okay. Um, because because she has a lot of opinions, frankly. Yeah. And um, she had her own ideas about the way that she not just wanted to be depicted uh, as a, a woman inside of the movement, but mm -hmm. she was just very particular about what she wanted her personal contribution to be in the story. Yeah. And Ava really wanted to satisfy her and also wanted to balance the necessity of being able to, you know, have characters function in the way that mm -hmm. she needed them for her story. Um, Diane Nash, for everybody, of course, was was actually very young during the whole civil rights movement. She was one of the freedom writers. She was, and she was like 20, 21 when yeah, she emerged as a leader. Young. Yeah. Which was so cool about Diane is, you know, when she when she um started to become really the leader that she was, it just she came from such a sort of sheltered environment that mm -hmm. then going away to college, I think she went on a, a date to a local fair mm -hmm. and just the segregation there and the way that that black folks were treated there yeah. um, was so astounding to her, A, because she hadn't experienced it in that way, and B, because her date at the time was so used to it. Right. It was so normal. It was so, right? no yeah, it was yeah. so normal to her. It's like her. working in the Trump White House. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's what she was struck by. She right. was sort of like, how does that happen? Um, and because I think she had she had come from a different experience as as a person of color and, and a young black woman, she was able to sort of see that that it was messed up what was happening around mm -hmm. her. And for that reason, I think she was one of the more radical members of SNCC. And, yeah. and all of the leaders that I had the chance to meet because they're still with us mm -hmm. said that of her, that she had some of the most far out ideas in terms of what she would pitch in those organ, organizing yeah. meetings. And it's interesting when you look at her, I don't know if, has there been? I don't know if there's been a film on her. I'm not sure. There hasn't. I don't think her story's really been told because, and it's funny because when you say radical ideas, they probably don't seem as radical now because. Yeah, perhaps not. Yeah. I mean, some of her ideas were just about the inclusion of women in the movement, which yeah. she, she thought they were being marginalized yeah. during that time. And they and, were. Yeah. And and she was especially, I think, being being also being a, a beautiful woman. Right. Um, Light-skinned. Yeah, all that shit. Light-skinned. <laughs> exactly that. Right. Exactly that. That's when um, they had the, the uh, paper bag test. Yes, they sure did. They sure did. Mm. And she's light, light as can be and has light eyes. Right, and, right, right. And you know, sort of fits into that whole thing. But I think it stood to really uh, create a sort of fire in her mm -hmm. that she continues to have. But, you know, she's so funny. When I when I finally met her, she said, you know, all I cared about, and she's lying, of course, but she's uh, like, all I cared about is I, I was looking through some images of some women that they were seeing, and I just wanted her to be cute. That's hilarious. And I saw your picture, and I was like, well, she'll do. Which I thought After was all so, that, which I thought was this, so funny. You know, I right. was feeling all this intensity around around wanting to be even a fraction right. of of the leader or, or occupy that kind of strength or or um, you know um, activism inside right. me. And and she just wanted even somebody like that. Vanity is still listen still there. Right? Listen, yeah, yeah. I well, I ain't mad. You know? <laughs> me either. Do you feel that playing a part like that? kind of changes you a little bit because I'm sure when you're doing that and you're around that, there's stuff that comes up and a lot of it kind of mirrors kind of what's happening right now. Yeah. You know, some of that. Do, or is is it just an acting experience or does it become something more than that when you're, when you're in a film like that? Uh, 
Well, for me, that that felt like not just an acting experience, also mm-hmm. just trying to understand what they were able to accomplish in their organizing yeah. before the time of social media. We have so much access now to each other yeah. and, and to get information out. And yet what we struggle with, I think, more than anything is real community organizing mm-hmm. and galvanizing people in a way that, that really creates action towards change. And these leaders were so phenomenal at it at yeah. Yeah, time really when are. nothing was on their side. Yeah. Um, so that, in a way, playing a part of those leaders when we did those scenes when we're marching, it really, we would look around at each other, and this was before I'd played a superhero, and it felt like the stuff of superheroes. Yeah. And we might as well have had capes. Like, you just yeah. felt very powerful <laughs> right. in those marching scenes. Um, and then privately, I felt like it made you feel like you were a little dwarfed because what do you do in comparison? Like, mm-hmm. what do you sacrifice? And then also just as... A black American, it made me think a lot about what side of history I would have been on, which, you know, would I have been someone that would have risked my life to create change? Would Mm -hmm. I have just figured out how to suffer through the status quo? Um, And asking that question, like, what kind of not just black American, but American am I now? You know, in this time in history, it's not a clean answer when I love like time machine questions and that kind of stuff. (laughs) You know, because people are so full of shit most of the time when they say, oh, I wouldn't. Like, I love them because they, I, if I was a slave, those motherfuckers never would have done that. Yeah, too. exactly. Nigga, you would have been beaten just like everybody exactly. else. Stop talking like that. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> Although yes. there are those couple of folks that wouldn't have been. That, True. That literally would and have they were, led revolts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. They paid a very high price. Yeah, they did. Them. But, uh, but it they is. They paid a price so that you and I could be here. Exactly. Sat across from each other on these microphones. Having these conversations. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Pontificating about what kind of black people we would have been. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Talking about how Diane Nash is a light-skinned uh, <laughs> Listen, activist. Listen, there's yeah. no other time. I don't care what. I, li- this, I love the idea of the mm-hmm. 70s. I really like yeah. silk and the idea uh-huh. of going to Studio 54. <laughs> right. Like the, the 20s, you know, the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, there's so many periods in time that, that uh-huh. seem evocative, but there is no other time I'd rather be. No, you're in the right time. Like right You're completely now. in the right time. And I don't time. just mean because of what I've been able to accomplish recently. I just mean as, as a as I know as exactly woman, what you mean. Like, <laughs> no, there's no, no time to romanticize no. any other time in Only history. white people, once again, can <laughs> have the time machine fantasy can truly going backwards. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We can only think about, well, yeah, I'd like to go into the future. <laughs> Listen, I would if the future looks like Wakanda. I'm trying to get into yeah, some, that's some some futurism, I think. Thor, going back to that part, I I loved you in that movie. Thank you so much. That was so amazing to me. Um, there's so much going on. You brought up, um, is it Wakanda? Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. I mean, Black Panther, I can't wait for that, too. There's so much genre busting going on in terms of who gets to portray yeah, right? what. True. Um, Tell me about getting that part. You know, was that something that you actually like were considered amongst other people? Did you go in and meet with the director? Did you read for it? Because it feels like a lot of that part was made for you as well. Oh, well, that's nice to hear. Mm-hmm. No, I it's sort of a process with Marvel. I think mm-hmm. I think Chadwick Boseman marks the only superhero that they've cast without having them read, uh-huh. which is so cool. And when you see him in Black Panther, you'll know why. But yeah. um, but it was an ongoing conversation. I got a call if I would be interested in a movie like that and in, in actually Thor. Yeah. And at the time, to be honest, I wasn't sure. Uh-huh. But then I heard that Taika Waititi was directing and I really liked his films. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love what we do in the shadows, but in particular, this film Boy that he made, I thought mm-hmm. was really just right. um, 
such a special film. So I met with him and we just sat and had lunch and talked. Was and that like pretty much your audition was talking with him? Well, it was an initial, it was an initial audition and it was a funny day, day too because I was having my hair braided and uh-huh. I was only halfway done. That's funny. But I had to go to the meeting so I just put a hat on and at like one point halfway in he was like what's happening underneath that hat and I took it off and I just had half braids and a half just my hair a mess and um he thought that was so funny I think that was like one part of my audition that I nailed um I think maybe something about Valkyrie being rough around the edges or not not giving a shit not quite giving a shit yeah so so then I I continued the conversation but still wasn't sure. And then mm-hmm. Marvel called and asked, I was doing a play in New York, if I would fly to L.A. and put on some of the costume and some of the makeup and read through some of the scenes with Taika. Right. But I think they were engaging with other people during that time, interested in in, in some other women. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the funnest part about doing that that type of role? Because it is so different than anything else. Is it is the physical part of it the most challenging part? Yeah, and I would say working in that much green screen and—, and mm-hmm. CGI in that space. It's in such a space of the imagination, and sometimes you're really intensely doing something, and meanwhile, a guy is eating a sandwich, you know, yeah. like staring <laughs> right, at right, you, right. and you're like, okay. So I think it's really if 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 a part of acting is first suspending your disbelief in there by the audiences, mm-hmm. there's a lot of suspension of disbelief you have to do constantly working on those kind of films. Yeah. But that's a part of the challenge I think that is fun, and then also just not like. A lack of dignity. I don't know how else to explain mm-hmm. it. Like, what, I, what do you mean by that? I, well, I remember hearing that Lucille Ball that that quote of hers that I'm not funny, what I am is brave, uh-huh. and she has the bravery not to worry about making a fool out of herself. Sure. And there uh, public were, solitude. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot. There's a lot of that that's necessary when you're working on those movies because oh, that's interesting. Sometimes you're tasked with stuff that in the moment could feel really silly, and the crews are so big, so you're not doing it in in private you're doing it in public yeah. and to have that kind of solitude to 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 be to feel alone enough to be free inside of something that big and then also no meanwhile because of the built-in audiences that so many people globally are going to see it yes. and you relinquish control you're like what yeah and you're uh and you're doing something different there's so much genre busting going on um i was talking with jordan peele about get out and how that's just busting on things too. But yeah. but I look at you on screen. Okay, I see a black woman who's playing a rogue. She's playing, you know, an alcoholic. Basically, <laughs> uh, you're bisexual. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a badass. It's all these things. You know, in this movie that, you know, it's not like a racial movie or something like that. I mean, it's meant for a global audience. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Are you conscious of any of of that? I mean, the other part of it, the fanboy thing, is probably more of a thing you're thinking about than anything else. Right? Yeah, and and right. also like that ne- stuff's ridiculous. Never mind race yeah. stuff. Also, like some people are like, she's too short, and I'm like, well, I literally there's nothing I can do about that. Five five on a good day. Right. Okay. Valkyrie's like, I don't know, six two. Like, what do you think? She's just like a tank. Like, it's yeah. just you know, she's a Nordic. I don't know. She's an alien, first right. of all. So that I don't feel that far away from. I always say from. Valkyrie is made up. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> That's my answer to that. Yeah, right? <laughs> now, the physicality was sort of daunting because it was unlike anything I'd ever done mm-hmm. before. And I really wanted to put on size and, and stature because I'm not the tallest person in Chris Hemsworth mm-hmm. is. Did you actually put on? Like, I did, yeah. Really? Yeah, I gained a lot of muscle mass and weight, which is like supposed to be taboo for did a woman. Did that raging bowl? It felt good. Thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly that. Oh, you just got to eat everything? Yeah, I just ate a really? lot of shit. Really? Well, that's all the crazy says I was like I'll have one of those and I'll have another one of those I just ate I mean but I worked out a lot what kind of stuff did you eat 
Uh, well, I don't eat eggs, but I eat, like like tons of like chicken breasts uh-huh. with like grains and like <laughs> avocado on right. toast and bananas yeah. and um, shakes with powders in them. And How awesome does yams that feel to be able to eat everything? Stuff stuff in them, and then also like they're in Australia where we shot. They have these sandwiches yeah. um, that are called jaffles, and they're basically these pressed sandwiches, but they press them so they don't have crust, so all of the insides gets like baked nice. in and gooey. So I'd have like a jaffle Very good in jaffle. the afternoon sometimes. <laughs> Where's my jaffle? Yeah, where's my jaffle? <laughs> um, they're pretty tasty. And and uh, there was a lot of controversy then. You talked about all the fanboys. Yeah. Um, did that happen while you were making it or did it happen afterwards? It happened when or? I was cast. Uh-huh. It happened when I was cast. And then again when materials were released, when like assets were released with me as the character. What were some of the things people sent? Do you remember? Uh, I mean some of them were really vile. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like really not really nasty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why do you think people? Why do you think people care about that's what I don't understand? Why? Why would people care about that? Um, where do you think that comes from? Well, I think part of it comes from being precious about characters that you have a long history with, wanting to mm-hmm. see them on screen in the way that you've seen them in the source material, but also. There's not, I mean, Valkyrie, there are many people that had never heard of Valkyrie that are comic book fans before right. this movie. So some of it has nothing to do with that and is absolutely just blatant racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think has to do with if if you're accustomed to privilege, anything else feels like it's taking something away from you. Right. So right. when you suddenly see brown people where you thought there should be white people, it feels like your world is caving in on you. That's uh-huh. that's sincerely what I feel because I don't understand where else that kind of vitriol would come from, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the nice thing is once the movie came out, there wasn't as much of that. And mm-hmm. I think there were even some people wrote me, which was kind of interesting, saying like I was primed to, to really not enjoy your performance because it wasn't the Valkyrie that I knew. And mm-hmm. thank you so much. You made me think outside of, of what I had previously thought. That's cool, I guess. Yeah. I think uh, that's one of the other things that I think what you're doing is great. That example that you're putting on screen is going to make it seem like no big deal years from now. Yeah, that's the right. other thing in these <clears throat> conversations about representation. And I mm-hmm. and I fuck with this, that we – that I – that, that young people of color deserve to see themselves reflected right. on screen, but it's also important that everyone else sees us reflected yeah. as the nuanced beings that we are so that mm-hmm. they understand that we're not a monolith, you right. know, um, so that their ideas o- around what black and brown people can be become more expansive, not just our ideas about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why, particularly in this big temple space, my my being cast, you know, in, in Thor and, and Black Panther, that's why those become real Things that that to me hopefully move the needle forward, you yeah. know, a bit. And it's funny because I love that a lot of these things happen in science fiction first. I know, isn't that <laughs> funny? For people, in make believe, it's got to be science fiction <laughs> for us to believe it. <laughs> that's true. It's At least true. that's my opinion on it. Always. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, you, like straight drama. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> comedy. Well, of course, it's a comedy. Uh, I get out a comedy, apparently. Exactly. Well, to some people, it's a horror film, and to some people, it's a comedy. And some people, yeah. it's a documentary. Exactly. I love when Jordan said that. Yes, no, it's it's all of those things all at once, which is amazing, you know. Um, and it's funny because you're kind of carving a niche, I guess you could say, in the sci-fi world, sci-fi fantasy world. Yeah. Um, 
I was a huge fan of the original Westworld. Uh, I really liked that. And a too. big fan of, of Crichton himself. Yeah, um, same. I, I worked with his his wife once um, years ago, and um, I was. It's funny. I was excited to meet her, but I was really. I really <laughs> wanted to meet. I couldn't even tell her. I was like, I really want to meet your husband because <laughs> I was a huge fan. He's such an interesting writer. I was a science nerd growing up, and and drama to strain and all that stuff is very interesting. But Westworld is. It's funny how the idea of Westworld is still an interesting idea today, mm. and your guys taking it, I found it very interesting. But your character, once again, you splash on the screen when you come on. <laughs> um, it was so much fun watching you in that role. And once again, you're going, you're doing dark things that are unexpected. Like, uh, did you have like one of those? What what do they call robots? Or mm-hmm. they're just called robots, I guess. Right? I don't know. Is there another name for they're them? They're called or? hosts. Host, right? Yeah. Okay, but like, they, they were but one, didn't you make one your slave, your sex, sex slave? slave? Yes, for an exactly. afternoon, she did. I'm like, yeah. this is fantastic. <laughs> she's the boss of the place, and she's making one her sex slave. And you talk about not giving a fuck. <laughs> well, she runs a she runs she runs a a, a pleasure yeah. amusement park. You, you know, take some time so off, so you right. also have to try the goods and understand the merchandise. You right. know what I mean? It's like you wouldn't you don't sell wine, you don't taste. You know, right? Um, or you don't sell jaffles that you haven't exactly. eaten, you know? Right. Um, so some of it is just business for her, straight business. But uh-huh. but yeah, I had a lot of conversations with Lisa Joy and mm-hmm. Jonah Nolan, who are the co-creators, about uh, hail my character coming in and really ch- changing the energy because mm-hmm. there's something sort of um, lyrical about the show and there's a lot of these sort of esoteric, really serious moments, particularly between Jeffrey uh-huh. Wright and Anthony Hopkins' character. And they really wanted something energetically that came in and really felt like it 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 stood to threaten what, what we understood tonally about the show a little bit. So that was something that kind of inspired me as far as the take on performance. But then also uh-huh. I just wanted to get out of these ideas about, you know, power and what it looks like. Sure. And, and those conversations with Lisa in particular were so cool because the one of the the fantastic things about working in the space of science fiction and and speculative fiction or anything that deals with the future is you get to decide yeah. what the future looks like. Right. And how cool if there's a world in which a young woman of color is at the very head or one of one of the the few people at the very head of this company and it's and no one has to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's never addressed in the narrative and it wasn't written necessarily for someone like me and I think that was a part of the intention to buck that convention and not have to you know she you know you often see that if it's supposed to be a young woman like she graduated top of her class early <laughs> can you believe it Bob like it, there's, so there, they always have to spin this thing about about yeah. how remarkable this person is and and our idea was what if in the future that's just true and the truth is I'm in my 30s I could mm-hmm. easily be running a corporation and I think if I were a white male the, the narr- you, people wouldn't ask the same questions sure. around if that's possible and also within like areas I, I remember some fans saying that she behaved so unprofessional Mm-hmm. And I feel like that also just has to do with with me and what I look like. I wasn't mad at her for that. <laughs> me either. No, that's fun. I was not mad at your character at all. No, I would not. always clap when you're like, yes, more of her, please. <laughs> but it was because of those reasons. Because to me, it's kind of resonant with the whole idea of Westworld is that it seemed, they say nothing will go wrong. And here's someone who's just this wild card coming mm-hmm. into the mix, you mm-hmm. know. 
which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and also yeah. in a show that wants to ask questions about what we as humans do when we think there's mm. not an emotional cost to our actions. Yeah. I feel like that's how the, the humans are sort of positioned on the show a little bit, particularly in the first season. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see a woman that has power and is is wielding it yeah. um, and maybe not in, in, in a way that everyone thinks is is the best way. Yeah, it really deals, it kind of changes our whole notion of pathos, I think, and mm-hmm. and who we get to identify with. I mean, if if you know the people, one of my favorite shows is The Americans, and The Americans does it in a different way, where they are forcing me to identify with the protagonist who's interested in the downfall of my country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yet I identify with and that protagonist, and I want them to win. I'm like, wait a second, Larry, what do you want them to win? And Westworld is interesting because, as you say, they're not human, but sometimes they're the most human yeah, it's in true. these situations. So. I, I love what you said about that. I'm always so interested because I love films like that. Like, for example, mm-hmm. I love that um, Dan Gilroy movie, Nightcrawler. Yeah. And I love that he talks about how he saw that film as a success story, even mm-hmm. though it's pretty terrible what that character does. Yeah. Um, but I'm really fascinated in in how you make a, a story where the character can do, the protagonist can do sometimes deplorable things, sure. and you don't even necessarily understand entirely why they do it, but mm-hmm. you root for them. Yeah. And you want to go on the journey with them. And I feel like it's an unfortunate thing, at least in, in the history of cinema, that that doesn't happen as much with female characters. Sure. Um, maybe that's why I'm really— in, interested in understanding when they work, how they work, because mm-hmm. I'd love to be able to be afforded the same freedom in the kind of stories that I tell. Well, I think a lot of it is cultural timing. You yeah, know, you I think right. the culture is just ready for those things. And, yeah. and you have people with vision who are doing it at the same. It's funny how things line up like that in the culture. Isn't that right? Yes. And then they just happen, you know, where somebody is right for something too to, to come up and be the avatar for that change. Yeah, and that, true. Sidney Poitier is one of the biggest that's examples true. of that. He was just he was the right actor at the right time to push so many things forward. Yeah, you you're know? that's interesting because mm-hmm. I feel like so often this idea of like being in the right place at the right time is a is thought of in a pejorative yeah. sense that you just got lucky and there, yes, that merit yes. doesn't align. Right, but right. there is something about that. Mm-hmm. There, there is really something about that. Because I think about all the women that came before me that just weren't afforded the same sort of opportunities that yeah. had everything to do with the culture, as you said, right. and not with their talent. Yeah. it's. I always think the audience takes ownership of whatever you do, too. You're talking about the other thing. Like in television, for me, I always think when I write something, like I own it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it goes on TV, the audience owns it. Yeah. And now you become the curator of the thing that they own. And they oh, let you so interesting. And yeah. they let you know it too. They're yeah, like, they don't do. fuck with the don't. thing that I now own and you are <laughs> and in charge of. And you are the poster child <laughs> yes, for exactly. You are the ambassador of. That's really and interesting. Characters become that That's way too. The and audience do- takes ownership like ownership of yeah. your character and your moves and what writers do with the character. It's true. And they have an emotional connection with that after a while. But too. do you fret about that, that ownership? I was just having no. a really interesting conversation with some friends who are musicians mm-hmm. about ownership of songs. Yes. And this that's idea, a that's a huge one. And yeah. particularly for certain artists, it feels like the song that everyone wants them to sing. And do they owe it? Yeah. Do they owe it to the audience once they're on that stage to sing Purple Rain, even if they want to, or sing well, Hey Ya? Be hard for Prince to sing Purple Rain. Although he was almost a, a hologram at the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. That would have been awesome if the Chappelle version came out. There were some great, <laughs> there were some great memes on oh, that, by so the way. Oh, that's so good. There were some I'm, awesome memes on I that. I miss those. But actually, Prince did deliver those songs to he people. He did. But yeah. so, so Prince was, Prince, I think, yeah. had a healthy, or I don't know if I'd call it healthy, he seemed to not mind the audience having yeah. that sort of ownership. But other artists, like, I feel like Andre 3000 didn't want to sing, hey, yeah, you got to a point yeah. where it's like, I don't, that song is not all I yeah. am. Um, I kind of agree with him to not sing it anymore. Though. Yeah, <laughs> I agree at this point. Or even Ava right. talks about sometimes like when the, you know, she spoke at the Makers Conference recently and when she came out, they played Glory, mm-hmm. um, that she's become so synonymous with Selma. And of course she's proud of that yeah. film and it means a lot to her, but you never want to get boxed into a, mm-hmm. a, a, a space of just... It's It can be difficult yeah. because as an artist, of course you want to push forward. But there is an there is a reason why you're able to do the things you do because of the audience. Of course, you know I'm a huge Beatles fan, you know, and yeah. and um, I, Paul McCartney had a tough time in the '70s, even though he was making number one hits in concerts. They wanted to hear Beatles songs, and it was he was like fresh off of all that, you know. Yeah. they did not have a good breakup to, at that time, you know, and it took him years to be able to accept the fact that you know what this is. This is what I did. I made this contribution, and the people just want to hear it, so I'm just going to do it. Yeah, you know? this is name drop, right? But I had a conversation no. with Paul McCartney about this very— Get out right I now. Swear Leave the room right now. <laughs> I had a conversation with him about this very thing, That's about insane. ownership, because uh-huh. this conversation that I told you right. that I had had, we had the afternoon before I, I saw him in passing. Okay, you and can't I just drop that. Him, wait, wait, stop. You have to go back a little bit. <laughs> How are you in a? Where are you to have a conversation with Paul McCartney? Oh, I just told this you I'm is a huge. Get worse. No, no, no. This I just told you I'm a huge Beatles fan, right. and then you just put down on the table. Oh yeah, I was a. Uh, you know, Paul get... and I were just chatting. I was in St. Bart's, and I okay. happened. <laughs> of course, you were in St. Bart's. <laughs> no, this is getting worse for me. <laughs> no, it's um, not. I, I ain't mad at you, Tessa. You're talking to the wrong person. Hey, I just came I ain't mad at any listen, of this. <laughs> I came as an invited guest of somebody else, yes. and then someone was like, "Hey, we're going to Paul's house," you and I was like, "By the way, you could have done this." Yourself, you don't have I d- to be an invited I didn't, guest. I didn't know. I have to get okay, proper. I just want you to know. I, I was on vacation. I was okay. an invited guest of Very some good. friends on vacation, and Paul was there. And Paul was there in his own space, and we got invited mm. to go to Paul's. And then I, you know, how you, have you ever been? In, I'm sure you have. You're in situations where you just try to play it cool. You try to act like it's really casual yeah. because everyone around to everyone around sure. you, it's very casual. Right. So that was a situation in which I just play, I played uh-huh. it cool, and then and then ended up. And you got in a conversation with them. I got into a conversation with Paul. Mm-hmm. My dad's a musician, so he played Paul. Paul and my father have at different times shared a drummer named right. Abe Laborio Jr. So mm-hmm. I got to like share that, and then we had a longer conversation. But we ended up talking about this very thing, ownership. And mm-hmm. he, you're right, is so gracious about that. Like yeah. he, that's the way that they structure the shows, and they play some of those Beatles songs, and right. he feels like there's something incredibly unifying about that, that it's a shared language that he has with the mm-hmm. audience. Yeah, he just hated it when Michael Jackson had the ownership of the Beatles songs. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Which was a—you talk about a a wise uh, move at the time. Yeah, um, smart. Um, uh, last thing about Westworld, though, um, just from an acting point of view, mm. I mean— Tessa, think about this. You're acting with Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jeffrey Wright. I mean, how much, as well as the rest of the cast, it's a Everyone, stellar cast. It's a stellar cast. It I really mean, is. that had to be a dream as an actor. Yeah, 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 hugely. What is it like acting with Anthony Hopkins? 
oh, well, you'd be surprised. Well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. He's I've so never met him. he's so incredibly generous. Mm-hmm. And in a, one one day we were doing a scene together, and and I was floored. He turned to me and he was like, "Oh, Tessa, I, 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 I think I'm, I'm I'm in this take. I'm I'm going to um I'm not going to look at you. Is that would that be okay with you?" And I was like, "Ah." Uh, yeah, I mean, like, ignore me. Like, I don't exist. You're Anthony Hopkins. Do whatever you want to do. Right. And he did the take, and then he came back to me after, and he goes, you know, this time I think I will look at you, actually, because I don't, I don't think that worked. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I was just so struck that Sir Anthony Hopkins right. wanted to let me know a choice that he was going to make in case it was going to distract me or make me feel like he wasn't you open said, to me you know, as an Paul acting Paul McCartney partner. wouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Hopkins, just want you to know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he was just so, so sweet and, and kind and, um, and collaborative, which um, he doesn't have to be. Tell me about Annihilation. How long ago did you shoot it? You, you, it's coming out in a couple of weeks and it's Alex Garland who, uh, ex Machina. Yeah. Um, which is once again, at a... Westworldian mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of sci-fi world in that from, vibe. You know, yeah. I purposely I was like, I want to I want to work in science fiction and in yeah. in speculative fiction in fantasy. I want to do that. And then it, the I got what I wish for in spades because I have pretty much done that almost exclusively for the past two years mm-hmm. in these couple of projects. Yeah, and tell us what is the what is the plot of of Annihilation? Are you no. guys like um, the serious? Ghostbusters, basically. Or? Oh my god! <laughs> That's what it I mean, looks like to me. one could say that. Sure. Um, this if you scene. mix Ghostbusters, Alien, uh, yeah, and Drama to Strain, there's a little bit of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you get snatched in that one scene. Although right? I think yeah. Alex's like reference for the film was that film Stalker. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That crazy film. Um, yeah. The film is about a team of women that go into Area X, which is a part of the country that has been sort of siphoned off because mysterious Mm -hmm. things are happening. There's something called the Shimmer. The Shimmer. So it's 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 a a a phenomenon. I don't know if it's natural. I don't know if it's natural. um, That is affecting the the landscape in in ways that are really destructive and nobody can understand why mm-hmm. and over the course of years the government has sent various teams in to investigate this shimmer and none of the teams have come out except for one Oscar Isaac who is in a team of right. of military and comes out and he's married to Lena our protagonist and mm-hmm. Natalie Portman's character and so she finds her way into this team and into the shimmer to try to figure out a what this phenomenon is and b what happened to her husband he comes yeah. back changed yeah it's very interesting it's very mm-hmm. provocative uh very provocative how would i do it's like, no it's good <laughs> you did good yeah, yeah. Um, I, do you like doing those kind of thriller movies? I don't think I've ever really done one. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that... Well, what re- was the biggest challenge to doing mm, something like this? Mm, There's a lot mm, of stunts and that kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And particularly yeah. me because my character, just, just she just really goes through it. Yeah. Um, I've You know, Alex felt like this was also a meditation on self-destruction and on how we as humans... Mm-hmm. Um, deal with our own mortality, how we deal with the fact that we're not forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think actually the hardest thing was 
thinking about some of those things. And my character has some, she's dealing with some stuff that's uh, that's dark. Mm-hmm. So it required me to go to that space. And and while we were working on the film, I was also training for Thor. So it was a weird, ba- it was a tricky balance to you navigate. You know that food. Yeah. And then you got to look at these <laughs> alligators on the set with their mouths open. Exactly. <laughs> Stuff's grabbing my you. My backpack's heavy. Yeah. Like, You're like, you hey, know. I got a full stomach, guys. Come <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's got to be fun. And you've been very, uh, very um, out front and center in the Times Up movement. Um, to tell me what's going on with that and your involvement in that. And I think we're in a t- time, you know, of a real big cultural conversation in, in our industry, certainly a real seismic shift. Mm-hmm. There's been a real watershed moment in the wake of, of Weinstein, as mm-hmm. it were. But so much of these at conversations all. were started for, for yeah, at all. Mm-hmm. Um have have been conversations that have been started long, long ago mm-hmm. um, with Me Too movement started by Toronto Burke in 2006. So it's been uh, on deck. It's been on the turnip truck for a while, just waiting to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and Time's Up has been in organization now, a, glo- a global, um, not just brand, but idea that was launched, of course, with the Golden Globes. But it started with a letter that got sent from an alliance of of women farm workers to the actress community saying that they stood with us and they understood what we were going through with these gross abuses of power because they face it in their industry. Mm. And it felt um, to receive that letter and to read it with other actors in my community, it felt so incredible that these women who put food on our table um, should want to write to us to to tell us that they stand with us. It mm-hmm. felt like there was a lot of work that needed to, to to really be done, not just for us and by us, but also for women across all industries. And that's the spirit with which Times Up got created. Mm-hmm. And the focus is now um, for equity and s- safety and equity in in the workplace, not just in in our industry, but in across industries. Mm-hmm. And equity is part and parcel of the safety, right? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. in some ways, because you find when there are more women and in particular more women in positions of power, mm-hmm. instances of sexual assault and harassment go down wildly. So mm. sure, um, there just needs to be more women in the workplace, which is why you see Folks like Jill Soloway and others that I work with, Lena Waithe, and mm-hmm. and I mean, actually, there's too many to name, but starting initiatives to ask for 50-50 by 2020, which means that our workplaces should be half peopled by women because we're half of, you know, we're mm-hmm. half we're we're half of our population. Um, but beyond that, I think equity. It's not just about these gross abuses of power perpetrated right. by Harvey and others. It's, monsters, it's, a, yeah. it's about real imbalance of power. And, and, and equity also speaks to folks that are still on the margin, you know, to people of color, to the LBGTQ plus community, to disabled folks, to people that are not able-bodied. I feel like this industry is still in a real white cis male stronghold, mm-hmm. um, which means that stories that are reflective of all of us and the mechanisms by which to make those stories, which is where, you know, the the business is structured around making those stories mm-hmm. and the crews, they're not representative of, of the world in which we live. Yeah. It's funny because 
I've been fortunate enough to be behind the scenes for a long time. Some people just know me recently, I mean, in yeah. front of the camera, but I've been doing this for years. And I remember uh, when I was doing the Burning Mac show years ago, and you do the um, uh, TV critics thing and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I said, so, Larry, how many black writers do you have? I'm like, motherfucker, ask Friends and Frasier how many black writers they have. I said, by me being there by myself, I already have more than them, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you're asking the wrong person. I'm the one doing all those things, but— even back then, I realized how important it is that you just sometimes you just have to do things like you, you can't even wait for somebody like hoping and wishing for other people to do it. And I feel like when I'm in a position of power, I open that door and I say, come on, y'all, <laughs> just run through. Everybody get in here. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> but you do. But so many people that are in positions of power just don't yeah. you know like it, it's so funny you, you we, I, I feel like sometimes my I want to do my head in because I have these conversations with people mm-hmm. around how we create change and what we do and 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 sometimes I'm just like just hire people yeah just hire them right like it's so simple no it is <laughs> it should I be agree so simple yeah um we need to have studies and right and, uh, we need, and we need a out. mentorship program right. and we need right. this and we need to figure out well why yeah I'm like just just hire them. Yeah. I was on the board of directors for a while of the Writers Guild. And they, you know, the Writers Guild tried a lot to do these um, uh, kind of like mentorship programs, but they would have uh, writers of color and women in the most vulnerable position on a staff yeah. of the person who was being paid by other means. I'm like, guys, how about hiring that person as an executive producer <laughs> or a higher level? Because they're out there. Stop. What that does, it pigeonholes you continuously in this subordinate position. You Absolutely. Know? And then and then they the, there are stories about like well retention. We can't hold on to them and it's right. like well you 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 don't give them access in the same way. So yeah. why would they stay? Yeah, I feel like this disruption that's happening it's all kind of connected. I I mean the word interconnected gets used a lot and all <laughs> that. But one of the reasons why I was excited to talk to you Tessa cuz I do think that the stuff you're doing on screen and I don't know what your goals are beyond this, if you have goals, you know, to direct or write and that kind of thing. But I think you are in a moment right now, a disruption moment, where these things can happen. Do you feel that happening with yourself? Uh, <laughs> you mean like I'm I'm purposely trying to disrupt? I I think it, it doesn't even matter whether you're purposely doing it or not. <laughs> it's just happening, you know. What are, what are your uh, goals for the future um, in terms of other things in the business? Do you want to do other things besides perform? Uh, you know, what I really want to do is direct, you know, yeah. that whole thing. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to, I, I just want to sit and talk to Paul McCartney. Like, well, you know, Tesla, you know, it's okay. See, this is why I want to direct. Is you know, that your, is that, that's a good. I can do a little bit of all the Beatles, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. So when you, when you're a yeah, big a Beatle fan, an accent. Oh, do you have a favorite Beatle? Like, is, or is that no, allowed? No, the Beatles group themselves were my favorite. Uh, I don't have like a favorite Beatle. You're not allowed to have a favorite Beatle. No, it's like Sophie's Choice. You think so? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I so much choice many things in my life, by the <laughs> way. I just like them to be that difficult. <laughs> oh, me too, man. Wait, yeah. what song are you? Uh, not that I believe in any of that, but yeah. are, are you? You're not a Libra, right? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, cool. Why? Because people Libra? always say that that's a Libra thing. Oh. Just um, being indecisive. No, I'm not indecisive. Oh, oh, oh. There's some things that I'd rather not make choices about. 
you know, it's like, oh, like yeah. a favorite Beatles. So I'm very, I'm very decisive. Oh, you're decisive about, about not making yes, decisions. Correct. Okay. Yes. I sometimes just don't like to make decisions. Yeah. Like, and the people right. that work with me will attest to this. Like, yes. I'll just leave they're, an email there. Right now, yeah. Like, I'm saying it for them because they're in the room. I right. love to just leave. I love to leave an email that just feels like a thorn in my side yeah. that I could easily just pick out. But yeah. I just, I like the comfort of knowing that there's a decision left to be made. Do you ever like make, you know, like return an email just late enough where it makes people uncomfortable? Because people want all the time. People want things returned immediately. And I'm yeah. like, sorry. Well, I first of all, everyone needs to remember that this <laughs> it's like coming from space. So this idea that exactly. you should get Thank an you. instant exactly. reply is messed up. And right. you know what? We think that that technology in that way gives us more freedom because we're like, oh, I can just text Susie. Right. But then when Susie res- expects you to respond right away, we're actually like in a real prison of having to be accountable yeah, to someone Susie all the time. Susie never texts me back on, on time. Our I'm phones. so mad at Susie. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's like my way. I don't mean to do it on purpose, but mm-hmm. maybe I, I low-key do to remind people like, I don't yeah. live by your rules, man. Like, I'm just, you know. I know. That's my way of rebelling. <laughs> I'm going to take three days to answer this email. Now how you like me. <laughs> yeah, that's me. But I'm, get, I'm getting better. Last night I uh-huh. stayed up cataloging. A part of my problem is I realized mm-hmm. I, I, they stay unread. I mean, they stay read right. in my inbox. So I need mm-hmm. to mark, flag them with that little orange dot to remind me I read this, but I didn't answer Does this. it bug you if you look at someone's phone and you look at their mail icon and, they have like, and it says like 693? 693 is a great number. That would be cutting mine in half. Really? I'm at so least yours above like, 14. Really? Yeah. And you can't. See, that drives me crazy. I didn't say I d- Wait a minute. Wait. I never said I can't. I said I won't. I understand. I didn't say I can't. <laughs> Figure out my mailbox. Hoarders to get below. think that no, they no. won't. Wait, let <laughs> Wait me just a make a distinction. Hoarders think that they have control over the stuff in their room. Okay. But they actually can't. Did you ever get into the show Hoarders? Because I loved it. And, I watch it all. I can't okay, get enough of it. That's because you're a closet hoarder. That that's because you it's, understand something about the psychology. That's yes, because I, I have hoarder genes, and I I have genes, but I don't right. believe that email counts because it's not actual. It's not actual. I'm not it's hoarding the, emails. It's the it's best not, hoarding you could possibly have because it doesn't make a mess in your house, but you still have that mess. Somewhere in your life. There you go. All right. Well, that's how I think that's how I was feeling yesterday. I sorted yeah. through some mail, both physical mail right. that I need to send out and also e-email. I get it. And I'm trying to streamline a little bit. Um, last question. Thank you so much for being here, by Thanks the way. Thanks so much for having me. I just need your expertise on this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think— that Elon Musk mm-hmm. committed the perfect murder <laughs> with that so-called dummy in the Tesla in space. I think it's the perfect murder. Wait. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think. Uh-huh. I think someone's going to show up missing, like in about six months, mm-hmm. and he's going to say, "I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did you check the asteroid belt? <laughs> Maybe." <laughs> I, I actually really like this theory. I don't mind this at all. I'm going to put it out there. You know what really is funny? Mm-hmm. I feel like in addition, I always hear people t- like, t- have you spoken to people that mention in the same way that I Paul McCarthy do, the Elon Musk you? Uh, no one really has. What, what, okay. do you, what do you mean? Well, they're like, when I was at Elon, you know, so oh, mention yeah, 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 him yeah. in Pat. I have, I know some people that do that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right? Absolutely. But he is one of the most prominent, like he, I... Wait, are you doing it to me right no, now? No, no, I've never met. I don't oh, okay. know him. I don't right. know him. I'm it just not felt doing like you were about <laughs> no, to do no, that. No, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just saying that people <laughs> right. people do that. Right. Um, he's one of those names. He's one of those names. It right. just comes up. 
Yeah, because it seems cool. Yeah, and also a Russian billionaire. I've heard a couple people mention a Russian billionaire in passing, and I'm is, always convinced it's the same Russian billionaire. Is it the Nets owner? I don't know. Like, I'm going to out Alex Garland, but for example, he texted me from he a Russian know. billionaire's Alex jet. Alex Garland wouldn't know. And I was like, why are you on a Russian billionaire's jet? He's like, it's the film business. Ex Machina makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> yeah, right? But I, I'm always wondering if it's the same Russian billionaire. I've heard someone it mention is. one in passing at least three times, but there must be surely at least three Russian billionaires. Yeah, but everything goes back to the same one. <laughs> all the murders, all the bad stuff, everything goes back to the same one. Uh, well, I think we could go on this tangent forever, but I know you're very busy. She's she's crushing the business, as I said. Tessa, thanks. That's what you yes. said before I came. That's I know. very sweet of you. Thank That's you. I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. You know? um, Tessa Thompson, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure. I really love listening to you. Will you, you come back and join do. us again sometime? Yeah, I'd love that. She said it. You heard it. I'll, right. I'll be back. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>